Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to be discussing The Last Action Hero, directed by John McTiernan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and an all-star cast or ensemble cast. This film was made for a budget of $85 million and did not do well at the box office. It made $137.3 million. Uh, it was released in 1993. Uh, we're going to go into the, some of the why it didn't do well. One of the issues was it opened the week after Jurassic Park, which proved to be a pretty major mistake. We're, we're going to dive into that. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this film up is this is considered a major flop. Uh, this was like the year after Terminator 2 or two years after Terminator 2. There was a ton of buzz going into this for Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, it was not, did not do well critically. It was overshadowed, came out in the shadow of Jurassic Park. And it was pretty pretty critical, difficult summer. A lot of good movies came out that summer. Um, we also talked about Cliffhanger recently. It came out three weeks after Cliffhanger. This is going right after that audience too. Um, 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the big thing here though, uh, it had a C plus as well on Cinema Score. And I know Cinema Score, I usually don't give it too much credence. That's low. C plus is low. That means the audience did not like it. And the thing to keep in mind for Cinema Score, um, it's a little more skewed because when you're talking about audience, like the, those people should generally be easier than the critics. Like if they're going to a horror movie, they like horror movies. So they're going to be less critical than a, a critic would generally. So these are action fans or comedy fans. And they went into this film and were disappointed. That was also part of it, like their approach, how they marketed it. Um, well, I'm going on too long here. The reason I'm laying all that out is I actually really like this film. It's kind of gained a cult following. And I actually think it's pretty smart. I, it's not perfect, but I feel like it was just ahead of its time. And we talk about meta-ness now. There's like this whole meta element to a lot of these films, whether it's Matrix 4 or Scream. That's the big in vogue now. This was made 30 years ago. I think it was just a little bit ahead of its time. But I'm not going to sit here and say this was a masterpiece ahead of its time by no means. I just think it, it, I like it. I don't think it was really appreciated for what it was at the time. I think all, all good points. Um, yes, I think for whatever reason, it's kind of most known for like being released right around the same time as Jurassic Park and just getting swallowed up by, by a T-Rex, basically. And like <laughs> it was just really poor planning by the studio to kind of force that movie to be released right at that time. Um, I do think it could have done better if it had a, like a, a bit of a, a different release date. And this is back in a time period when release dates really did matter a lot to movies. And it, it's not... You know, with all the streaming and stuff now, I think it's a little bit different in terms of like how to release movies. But oh, I would disagree. Really I think it's more important now than ever. Oh, really? Because that first weekend they make fifty percent that first weekend. So if you you choose the wrong weekend, I guess it depends on the movie. Yeah, I mean, also it's like I mean the, the rental market worked differently back then than, than it does with streaming as well now. And so, but again, I, I just think it, if it hadn't been released right around the same time as Jurassic Park, I just think it would have done better, or at least be a little bit more well known. You know, if you ask somebody to name their favorite Schwarzenegger movies, this is maybe like ninth or tenth that they'll come up with in terms of like movies that they'll mention. And so, um, and yeah, it, it is uh, ahead of its time in terms of its meta ness. It does, like the way it achieves that though is in such kind of a goofy way. The whole thing with the Houdini and the ticket, I think, is kind of the weakest aspect of the movie to me. I think they do a little too much, kind of like trying to create a magic experience or around, or yeah, just the, the magicalness of the movie ticket. It's just, it's not that important to what's really going on. Um, and so I might have done that whole 
like the whole way that it's like they, they kind of travel between the movie and reality. I might have rethought that a little bit inside the script. I did find myself at times wondering if I would enjoy just watching the Jack Slater movies more than the movie I was watching, which is a weird thought to have when you're watching a movie. But it's like, um, I almost, there were times where I was like, man, I just want to watch the Jack Slater movie and just enjoy like a crazy Schwarzenegger movie that's over the top. But instead I'm watching this thing where a kid is traveling between reality and a movie and his favorite movie star and stuff. And so that like, that was kind of one of my weird thoughts while watching it. Um, also like um, the kid, I wasn't a huge fan of the kid. And Wait, like, hold and that thought. Cause we're, I, we're going to dive into that kid in a minute, but I just want to quickly touch on the script because um, I probably, I, I wanted to, I meant to t touch on it earlier. I just want to see where you're going. Uh, but I think this is a good segue because I was really interested in the script. I'll keep this short courtesy of Wikipedia here. Uh, the screenplay was originally written by Zach Penn and Adam Leff, and it was meant wow. to parody. It was meant to be a parody of action film screenplays, namely that were popular time, namely Shane Black, who from the mid eighties was like the action writer. Uh, yeah. And funny enough, the studio hired who else? Shane Black to edit the script. So some of the elements that wow. they put to make fun in there. But with that being said, the um, the original screenwriters said it differs heavily. Um, apparently, it's available online. I didn't have the chance to do it, um, but they said it's actually still it's still a parody. Like it, it didn't seem like Shane Black took anything personally, but it seemed like the biggest thing he did was actually, to your point, he set the film mostly in the film world, the Hollywood world. As I guess originally it was kind of between the two. But I, the one thing I wanted to note one of the biggest changes made this wasn't done by apparently Shane Black this was done by another writer it also had at least three script actors including Carrie Fisher Princess Leia Larry Ferguson and William Goldman um the ticket the magic ticket concept was introduced by one of them previous to that there was no explanation it was going to be unexplained how he traveled between the worlds and I'll be honest I think I would have preferred that yeah there's there's elements of the movie where it almost seems like the kid is having like mental issues, so to speak, and he doesn't have friends and he's trying to escape his own reality. And I might've had it just be more of a psychological kind of question mark type of thing where he loses himself in a movie as opposed to creating a magical device so that he can travel between them. And so I could definitely see that being, you know, uh, in the script where it's like, just have it be unexplained and kind of have it be more of like a question of like, is this kid, just lose, losing his mind a little bit or kind of going too far in terms of how he watches movies. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a little clunky, the whole magic ticket and Houdini. Also, just a side note, Houdini was always a person that was explaining how supernatural things didn't happen. And like, I think people kind of misinterpret him a little bit as this guy that was like so magical. He's actually, he was known for doing things in a way that would uh, explain the he was the preeminent debunker of his time. Yes. He and he and during this time, for a little more context, spiritualism was a big thing from actually like the Civil War to like the early 30s. Uh, spiritualism was largely uh, con artists trying to take advantage of people, like doing cold reading, pretending to be mediums, taking. And the reason there's a reason for that from the after Civil War, a lot of death in America and also the UK for like I think they're the Crimean War. Um, but the UK and the US for basically 60, 70 years, spiritualism was big. There might have been some genuine people in there, but there was a lot of uh, a lot of hoodwinking, a lot of conning, and a lot of bad actors. And Houdini dedicated a large portion of his life to debunking them. Because Houdini was about performing acts and feats. 
he wasn't really like doing tricks. Like he was actually doing the things he was doing. So he wasn't trying to trick people. He was trying to like surprise them, which are two different things. So I agree. And that was also, I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't occur to me until you just said that. You're right. That's it's one that shows like it's, it's disingenuous to his memory. I just don't like that. Like that, that that's definitely a knock. It fit the way that, like I know they wanted to be like, oh, he's this famous old magician that maybe this old man knew when he was a kid. But it, I, it's one of these things where it's like they just didn't research who that was in the right way. Because if Houdini saw something like that, I think even he would have been like, uh, no, like I don't create magic tickets. You know what I mean? The, the, to me, if anything, they should have done. And I'm forgetting the guy's name. I should know this as a movie buff. The guy who created the first film, To the Moon, like the French guy, like that would have made more sense. Like, oh, he created the, he actually took him to the moon or whatever, but whatever. I'm not here to rewrite it. Um, But yeah, I I couldn't agree more. But I'm sorry. I cut you off before and you talked about something and you you, you mentioned someone and I'm I'm not going to try and be mean here. This kid doesn't seem like he's had a a great career, but you mentioned Austin O'Brien who is cast here as the lead. Prior to this, he was in The Lawnmower Man. So he's a pretty young actor at this point. Um, He's gone on. He's he's still doing other things. When I said his career hasn't totally taken off, but he's still working. looks like he's doing a movie every few years. Um, No offense to him. And this is really hard. I I blame the producers. I kept thinking of like Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. Like, why weren't they in this? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the two I was thinking of was Macaulay uh, and Edward Furlong. It's like, imagine teaming up Furlong again from T2 back into a story. You know, and it's like, I feel like that would have been a great pairing. And I think he's a much better child actor. And so, yeah, I do think uh, the casting of that kid uh, was a little bothersome. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, I, you saying, yeah, we're on the same page. And, and I'm sorry. I didn't like him when I was younger. Like, and this isn't, I remember not liking him. Um, I just thought he was annoying. Like when I was younger, I'm trying to put myself in the headspace. I just remember him being kind of like a non-entity. I didn't like him. I thought he was annoying. Um, like, uh, I, and like now watching it now, he's too much. Like they needed to edit that. Like they let him say too much. Like, oh, you're going to be sorry now. Like, who says that? Like, honestly, he's 10 years old, but like, that's what five-year-olds say. Like, that's not what a 10-year-old says or a 12-year-old. I mean, it's like, that was kind of the point where it's like, I'm actually starting to enjoy the Jack Slater movie, like in and of itself. And like, then you have this kid like commenting on it. It's like, I don't want this doofy nerd like commenting while I'm watching this. It's like, it did. It, I mean, I know it's supposed to take you out of it. And again, it's this meta movie, but yeah, it just, it's like, he's too involved in the movie in a way where it's like, he gets in the way of what's good about the movie at times. Yeah. To your point. Yeah. I enjoyed the Jack Slater world. And every time he's in, even like with the Charles dance thing, like when Charles dance is trying to like interrogate him or Benedict, which is amazing. He's taking me out of the scene. Like he's, it feels like he, and this is unfair. Cause like we, we talk about some rewatchables. We talk about this people who think they're in different movies. It's unfair because he is in a different movie. He is in the serious movie that takes place and they're putting him in this one. So like, I get that's unfair, but he's not. And I blame the director more than I blame this kid who was 12 at the time or 11 at the time. They're not doing enough to help him like change his performance or they're to your point there. He's in too much of it. Like, and he's saying things that are like, he's thinking out loud and a lot for the audience. And I get it's through his prism, but they're also like, they waste a lot of time with him talking out loud, like, and saying exactly what he's thinking and he's going to do. And it just is like, it's a little bit like, 
are you trying to make this for kids? Like it, it just, he messes with so much of the flow and so much of the film that I like. And he's also, I'm sorry, he's not a good actor. Like there's a reason he doesn't have a great career. Like, And I'm not trying to be mean, but like, and the thing that stood out to me this time, his whole, when he's like trying to play chicken with the char- with the car, like, it's stupid it's meant to be stupid it's meant to be big but like it's not funny like he doesn't have a charisma he's not funny he's not likable and i also blame the writing like they he's not likable he's not he's not like and it's like oh is he a good-hearted kid i don't know like he's mean to his mom he's not particularly nice to his mom he kind of takes advantage of this old guy like and like yeah he likes he's also the worst type of person to see movies with who's talking to himself and telling saying yeah. things t- predicting things as they happen like that I just came away being like, I don't like this kid. And honestly, I, this is really mean, but you know, some people don't deserve friends. <laughs> like, uh, or like, like if you're not like, uh, I was watching Daniel Tiger this morning and I'm oh like, God, like some of these characters, some of these shows, like the lessons that would be nice to everyone. I'm going to tell my, no, Ben, my son, like some people, if they're annoying, you don't need to be nice. like, they might be nice, but if they're annoying, you don't need to be friends with them. Like, don't be mean, but like, let them be on their own. And yeah, you totally, you did totally hit on something about I agree. Where it's like he's the type of person I, I wouldn't enjoy watching a movie with. Where it's like I've watched a ton of movies with you, would enjoy, would love, you know, watching a movie with you at any time. And so it's like I, the character needs to be somebody that you're enjoying watching a movie with. Somebody that like makes a joke at the right time, makes a comment that's you know intelligent about the plot, you know, and then, you know makes observations that you know maybe you wouldn't have had on, on your first watch. And so it's like. Uh, the way the character needs to be written is somebody that you're like, oh, I, I, I would love to watch movies with this kid. You know, it's like he's somebody I want to go to his house and like watch an old movie with. Instead, you're right. He's the type of person I would never want to watch a movie with. I get why he doesn't have friends. He seems like he's an annoying kid. Like, like when the Ripper so, does like, yeah, he's like just like serving. He's he's exposition for two different audiences for like yeah, us as yeah. the audience and like that in you. And it's just it, it doesn't work. And um yeah, I just and he's just I'm sorry, like and talk about like nineties, that haircut, like everything about him screams nineties. Like it's just it doesn't age well. And the one thing I want to talk about I'm sorry, anything else we want to talk about him? Because there's other there's another thing about him, like in terms of the tonal mismatches, which I, which kind of occurred to me. Uh, well though, I mean the one thing I would say is like in opposition to that. I really do enjoy the Arnold character or like the Jack Slater character. Like I think he's a funny guy. And like it's a it's a guy like I would watch that franchise. I would like enjoy it for what it was. It's like, you know, he's got all these cheesy lines. Actually, one of my favorite sequences in the movie is the Hamlet sequence where he's like in class and he's thinking about Hamlet and then all of a sudden it's a Jack Slater movie. And I just thought that was a hilarious like I would watch two hours of that, just him as Hamlet like shooting people and like going against the rules and like just murdering Shakespearean lines. It's just, I just thought that was so funny. I love that. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I mentioned how I've had, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned it before. I've had an interesting story. I've had an interesting relationship with this film. I saw it when I was younger and I didn't really like it. In college, I had a Shakespeare, a Shakespeare teacher, a Shakespeare class. One of the, it was Shakespeare in film. One of the films she had us watch was Last Action Hero. Not because... And, and she mentioned that Hamlet scene she, and she mentioned she loved it. This was like one of the last films we watched. She loved Last Action Hero. It was basically we were watching it because of her. But the lens through which she had us view it was the idea that based on that Hamlet thing, she's like, Hamlet is the first action hero. 
the uh, Midsummer Night's Dream is the first comedy. A Romeo and Juliet is the first, and she's like, or the first modern, like the, like for the West, like they're still the first modern. And that sounds crazy to say they're 500 years ago, but if you read the stories, we're telling the same ones over and over again. Like, I mean, yeah, if I was in that class, I'd make a debate about Beowulf, but I understand what you're saying. A hundred percent. That, from an educational academic standpoint, boom. Well, we're really doing Odyssey. You bet, but. Yeah, also, I agree. Yeah, you can make debates, but that's the kind of thing that you do in an English class like that. Exactly, exactly. But to her, but she loved this film, and what this is what drew me. She loved it so much. Uh, it also didn't hurt. I was high before I went to class, but um, I remember watching there, and I watched it with like a new light because she loved it so much. And before we went, she did this whole thing, and um, I like my teachers. I'm not like someone who always shuts them out, but I was like genuinely moved by her passion for the last action hero. I remember thinking to myself like. Wow, did I not watch this film? Like, what did I? Because I liked her. She was a great teacher. And I agreed. And so watching it in her class through that lens, I was like, wow, this film is actually better than I remembered. And I watched it again after that. It's been a while since I've seen it since college, obviously. But um, it I didn't like it. This made me like it a lot more. And now I've come back to a place where, but with all that being said, I would see that Hamlet movie. I would see a Slater film. Like they Like, they did such a good job. Of building those smaller in universes than I think the that the larger like realistic one where everything was taking place in, which was upsetting. And I also didn't like. I get it. It's New York. It's the '90s. But like, for me, the biggest miss there was a total mismatch. Like, not only in terms of setting. I get it. Hollywood's bright and fun and nice. It's going to be gritty, grimy, dark in New York. But also like, the opening of the film with the Ripper and the end are basically like horror films. I think really effective. Like they're really tense scenes. But it's totally different, totally different from the rest of the film. And then with that, further, there's the disconnect between the regular world and the Hollywood world. There's just so much. I don't think they ever get... The world that the kid's living in, it almost seems like he's in the crow. Like, it's just this dark, rainy, like, fucked up place. And it's like, I mean, again, like you said, it's New York in the 90s. And I get like, hey, it wasn't a happy town. But, I mean, they go a little overboard with what they're doing there. Also, and in that in mind, like this didn't occur to me then, but looking at it now, in that type of world, what would that theater owner really be like? Like that yeah. theater takes a different, there's a different context to that theater, like as an adult to me. I'm not saying he's like, I'm just, is he a guy with a heart of gold? Probably. But like, it just, when you view the world through the lens, like I, it should be more nefarious like and again that's a tonal mismatch like this magical theater with the heart of gold like in a slum that there aren't a bunch of crackheads in like i, I it just again yeah it's it's you're supposed to come away with like oh it's it's this uh you know degrade you know uh descending theater that like you know once upon a time was like one of the greats you know in the 30s or something and now it's like you know it's at the end of its rope kind of thing and the guy is holding on by a thread but like you're right, it's like at that point in time where that is located. I mean, that would be a pornography theater, honestly. And like, yeah, you know I mean? that would like, be a drug yeah. den, or like people yeah. returning tricks in the back. Like, it's just like, and that's lost on me as an eight year old. But now in my mid thirties, like that, yeah, yeah, I'm just a little bit like, what well, something's not adding up here. Um, and I think that's part of it too. And you mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned it with the Houdini thing. There's the, there is clearly the sign of a lot of different cooks in the kitchen here, 
because yeah. there's like they mention Houdini, but they clearly don't know anything about him. Like they have New York in the setting, but they know it's they clearly don't have a full understanding of New York. Like, oh, they know it's bad. They know Times Square is bad, but they don't know what's in Times Square. They just know it's bad. Like it's like, oh, going to a swamp. I know there I know there are animals in a swamp, and no, oh, I'm gonna find lions and tigers. Like, no, no, no. There's plenty of things that are gonna kill you in a swamp, but it's not a lion. It's gonna be a fucking crocodile. Like it's just like they didn't I'm losing myself, but it, even the part where like the bad guy comes across and he like shoots some car mechanic just to see if the cops will come, it's like the cops are still in New York City. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like it's just absent of police officers, even in the early night, you know. That to me was kind of a bizarre thing too, where it's like, okay, I know it's not the movies where the cops show up right on time. But it's not like they're completely absent. Like you go and you do, you play chicken in an alley, you shoot somebody up. They're gonna shoot. Like there's still police around. And I was gonna say, like, yeah, New York. There's a ton of people even in the '90s. But a tall, redheaded British dude in an all-white suit with a neck tattoo and a glass eye. Even the New York NYPD is gonna catch you, man. Like you, you can't be running around. And to your point, that was the thing that really stood out to me. Like, I get it like the nineties felt bad or whatever, but like our world has never been that cynical. Like, I'm sorry. Like this isn't medieval Europe. Like you can't just shoot anyone indiscriminately and walk away. Like, and that like, even in 1993, New York was already on like the, it just, I don't, again, talking about a mismatch, like the real world didn't match the real world. It didn't match it now. It didn't match it then. It was almost like to your point, I felt like he was in the crow or sin city. Like the, yeah. The real world was so depressing, and I, I know they're trying to do a juxtaposition, but like, they, they went too far. It was too. It was literally heaven and hell. It was nothing real, really tangible in either world. And that, again, it's like I think you're right. Like the, everything that's done inside the Slater movie is a lot more fun um, and just enjoyable as a viewer. And the stuff that's in the real world, whether it's the kid or whether it's the setting, uh, or like trying to understand that movie theater, it's just all it's not flowing the right way and it's not like jiving the right way for the viewer. And so, and again, when, when you're doing a movie like this, that, that has this like meta aspect involved, it's like the real trick of it is to make that all flow and feel like fun on both. And so it's like, at no point am I looking forward to the part where the villain and both the kid and Schwarzenegger go, go back to the real world. Like I want to stay in the Slater movie. I want to keep having fun watching action sequences, seeing cameos, seeing all the inside movie jokes that, that's going on in those. And it's just like, all that kind of goes away when you go back to the real world. I also thought that, again, I always say this, but like, I am going to rewrite it. The tension of the film should have been him trying to get out of the Hollywood world and realizing that like, like if anything, yeah, that would make more sense. Like a real, a real world with like real consequences and like, but like real emotions would be better than this world where everything's fine. But to that point, like, I like the action, I like the comedy, I like the Jack Slater role, and I, I didn't love the film when I first saw it, even though I had a ton of action, and usually that was enough to just make me say thumbs up to whatever, like Mortal Kombat 2, enough fights, yeah, that's a good film. Like, I'm talking about 10-year-old Jake here, but um, the thing I realized watching it, there's no stakes in the Hollywood world. Like, once you realize, like, what's going on, like, there's no stakes because, you know, they're not going to die. Like, um, at, at one point, a cat saves them. A cartoon cat saves them from death. Um, and, like, which is fine. That's, again, I, I get it. That's Hollywood. The only time the stakes are real, it's when the Ripper at the end. 
and I like that. It's really tense when when they're all in the real world, and, and it like I like the stakes there, but I think it also diminishes some of the tension or some of just that excitement you get from the audience. Otherwise, it, it, there's a lack of stakes for like ninety percent for eighty percent of the film. Yeah, and it's, uh, I also some of the like there's a little too much of him trying to prove to Schwarzenegger that they're in a movie, and like I didn't totally understand like why are you trying to prove to him that you're like why don't you just enjoy being in the movie? You know he's not going to understand what's happening. You walk through the real world into I, like there's so much of him being like let's go to Blockbuster and like I like the Blockbuster sequence, but still I just don't get like why are you trying like it wasn't clear to me like why are you trying to prove this to him. Well, you nailed it. And that was the other thing that stood out to me. Like, I didn't know why he was annoying, but like, that's annoying. Like, and as a kid, it's just annoying. Like, I don't care. But now as an adult, like, you're literally trying to like, give him like a meta, you're trying to give him an existential crisis. Like, and also like, just one step further, he has no context. So like, how would he think everyone, woman's beautiful? If only, if every woman he's ever seen is beautiful, like, he doesn't know what you're, it's all just grades of beautiful. Like, he just doesn't know what you're talking about. And again, I get it. He's 10 years old. He doesn't have context, but I'm not, I'm talking about like as a critic here, talking about looking to the writers and the director, like you need to make this work. The character's 10 years old. Your audience isn't 10 years old. So like you need to do some twerking here. Um, And again, your point, like they just spend too much of that's too much. That's like the middle third or middle act. The tension is him trying to convince him he's in a movie and to what end? I don't know. Like, what is the point of that? So he just knows he's a movie character. And like at the very end of the film, he winks because he's now self-aware and like they breaks the fourth wall. Like, was that what it was about? It was like, now you're ruining your own movie. Like now that you're aware of it, like I, I wasn't sure what that was supposed to be. Yeah, the fact that he's like, you know, stop yelling at me. This is a movie. It's like, well, you can't be saying that in the movie, right? This isn't your line. <laughs> yeah, like that, it was. It kind of broke down for me at that point. And again, just further, like, like as a kid, I liked it because it's like, oh, he remembers him. Like, maybe they can get back together. As a kid, like, it's a, a positive thing. But yeah, critically, from a story standpoint, it's like, what? Like, so where's the integrity? Like, where's the integrity of each story? Like, where does one end and the other begin? And it, I like that film. But as I said, like, there's so much in terms of the details and, like, I would say they, they they miss almost all the finesse points. Like everything when it comes to like finesse, they miss. And part of that to, to quickly segue is to the production. Because apparently this film was released six weeks after filming. And they released a rough cut two weeks after filming. Um, and we talked about some of the issues with it, like performance. Um, on May Day, they, they released a rough cut, like apparently days after it was done filming, and they released a rough cut that was not ready, had bad word of mouth, which like, we're talking in the 90s, there's no internet, so word of mouth is the internet, so bad buzz off the start, um, released six weeks later, we mentioned how it opened against um, Jurassic, Park. Jurassic Park, apparently, uh, in their defense, it, Universal moved it, like, well, well, Universal moved Jurassic Park to the week before to fuck Sony um, with with this film. Um, the, the the negative word of mouth after the rough cut was said, according to Wikipedia, catastrophic. Um, the oh, it lost it, it lost, and it even more so the weekend after the second weekend it lost. 
50% of its box office to Sleepless in Seattle. So this opened between Sleepless in Seattle and fucking Jurassic Park, which are comedies and action. And this is an action comedy. Like it, it, it couldn't. And three weeks after Cliffhanger, another good action film. Like this is rough, rough sledding. I mean, you can just imagine like you're walking to a movie theater at that point in time. Are you going to see Jurassic Park or are you going to see Last Action Hero? And I mean, it's just a no. I mean, I can tell you, like, if I, it, even at that age, it's like, I'm going to go watch Jurassic Park. Like, that was a groundbreaking, iconic movie. And like, yeah, if I want to see a comedy, give me the Tom Hanks, you know, little romantic comedy thing going on here. Like, let me take my girlfriend to that if I'm a little bit older. I'm not taking her to the, this, you know, bad Schwarzenegger movie. You know, it's just, I can see how it get, kind of gets swallowed up in the box office there. Even Cliffhanger, like, which I don't think was a factor at that yeah. point, but even like Cliffhanger and The Last Action Hero, you're standing there with a friend or a girlfriend. Hey, what movie do we want to see? Oh, Last Action Hero, what's that about? Oh, it's about a kid who goes into a movie, um, and then he's in the movie, and he's trying to convince the movie that it's a movie. Oh, or, oh, oh, or there's Die Hard on a Mountain. A bunch of guys uh, are trying to kill Sly Stallone, and he's a mountain climber. Oh, let's watch that. That it's you need yeah. a simple premise, and it's yeah. the madness would go over well now, but I don't think it was easy to swallow back then. I agree. Yeah, just a uh, again. And, you know, uh, comp- uh, like production companies do this to each other all the time to kind of, you know, I, I don't doubt that they move Jurassic Park to try to, like, screw over another company. And so that's kind of just like the game that's played. But, uh, again, if you know that a, a movie's going to, like, I think everyone knows that that Steven Spielberg dinosaur movie is going to do well. And so it's like, I don't think it's a hard call to move your release date, even if you have a little bad word of mouth, just to kind of, like, save some money and stuff. And so, and I also... This was the first movie I believe that Schwarzenegger was an executive producer on. And so some of that does fall squarely onto Schwarzenegger's shoulders because I do think that he had the most control of all the creatives involved in it. Hey, everybody. It's your hosts here. Just interrupting for a brief moment to let you know there are some recording and technical issues with this last segment here. So apologies uh, in advance for some... uh, more volume issues than normal. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. So you actually mentioned, um, so Schwarzenegger, to his credit, whether it's true or not, he said he tried to push the rest of the the producers to push it six weeks out of, uh, but again, that's what I'm saying. It's easy to say in hindsight. I mean, everyone was calling it a dumb move afterwards. So uh, I don't doubt he, he got maybe a look at it. It was clearly the smart thing to do in hindsight. Uh, but yeah, that, to me, this film, if anything, the failure is totally at the, at the producers. I mean, yeah. to give it less than six weeks to edit before release, that, that's not enough. Uh, even if you're like Christopher Nolan and you know everything you're filming start to finish, like perfectly storyboarded, it's not enough. It's just not enough time to, to construct a movie of this size. I don't know why they were on such a rush with it. It's not totally clear to me. I know that there was a big budget and you know, obviously you're getting Schwarzenegger off of a crazy run. You know, this is post-Terminator 2, and so this is real peak Schwarzenegger time period. And so I think a lot, they really thought a lot of it was just like, we, you know, no one can beat Schwarzenegger at the box office, and it doesn't matter what we release, and let's just go make our money type of thing. But I think they, they needed to think out a few more things. I mean, like, some of the errors in the movie, like we said, are pretty easy to spot. I, I think sometimes it's easy to think of, like, people in these positions as being, like, really smart. I think sometimes we can forget that they can just be there by luck and 
capable, even if you're a smart person, you're capable of making pretty stupid decisions. And where I'm going with this is this reminds me of WB, who got, who got themselves into a little trouble when they tried to do this, when they tried uh, Avengers Civil War, uh, excuse me, Captain America Civil War had its release date. They announced, they announced months later Batman versus Superman. And guess what? They put it on Avengers Civil War date, like trying to play chicken, trying to get them to move. Guess what happened? Civil War. Civil War did not move, and WB ended up having to move their own thing. And they did it again with, I think, Avengers. Like, they did it a few times, and they would had to back down. So it's... And where I'm going with that is they're really smart people running WB. You could have walked in at any movie fan, and when they told them, like, anyone who watches either of those films and said, hey, we're going to release our film the same weekend as Marvel, everyone would have told you that was a dumb idea. And, like, sometimes people, like whether they're thinking with their dick or they just, they're not thinking with their brain, they make bad decisions. And where I'm going with all this is based on what I can tell, like the little research I've done, there was nothing that forced them to release this a week after Jurassic Park. I think it was just read, and I think it was, to your point, a little bit of bravado, like, you got dinosaurs? Like, who the fuck is Jeff Goldblum? Who the fuck is Sam Neill? Gives a shit. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've got Tom Noonan. We've got F. Murray Abram. Like, we've got um, Whiskers, the cat. We got Austin O'Brien, the, the, the hottest man. You know, like, I get it. Like, we got John McTiernan. Like, I, I totally get it. You look on paper and it's like, oh, this is gonna work. This is gonna work. But this, like, the way I'd say it, it's like, that's when you see like an, a five and zero West Coast team playing its first game on the West East Coast against like a decent team. Like, they're gonna lose. It's the way you know you put the nets together. Yeah, we got Durant and we got James Harden, Kyrie. But then, you know, sometimes it's like if you don't actually build the chemistry, it's not going to work for you. So, it's like, I know, you know, you got McTiernan, you got Schwarzenegger, you have this hot script that people were talking about, but it's like, that doesn't make it, you know, foolproof. And like, maybe you should listen to your test audience when they give you negative reviews. Also, this guy, good isn't great. And there's a big gap between good and great. And like that, if the gamble is that they're, you're both good or you're great and they're not, like, it just sucks. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention in 93, so I don't know how much buzz there was, but I do know after it came out, and, like, obviously, how's that 2020? Critical mistake. Like, one of the worst mistakes of all time, releasing it. Agreed. It's also been said as much, pretty much, by, by others. But, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. I just thought that was funny. Like, it, 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 there, there were some mitigating factors, I think, in a way well um, and I, it was funny I thought like oh is this the end of Arnold no True Lies came out the next year he, he had a good run he had another three years you think the James Cameron he's okay yeah he's doing just fine he's governor governor of uh, I was in Florida California he's, he, he did okay um, one thing before uh, I wanted to ask before we get to the final scores what was your favorite cameo in this movie um, probably Danny DeVito as Whiskers um, I I, held, I did like the Robert Patrick. Yeah, I, I think him and Sharon Stone show up like a couple things inside the police department at one point, and then even at the Hollywood premiere thing, and like MC Hammer is there. Uh, he's talking about like the soundtrack. Chevy uh, Chase. Like a, yeah, John Claude Van Damme. Um, uh, Jim Belushi, I think, is involved. It's like there's a bunch of people that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. I, I did think it was funny how many. I did really like the inside joke though on the guy that killed Mozart. 
dumb movie, but there's some, like, funny, clever parts to it that, like, every time I watch is I feel like there's something, there's something new I realize that's dumb, but there's also always something new where I'm like, oh, like, that's clever, that, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I would say that, I would say, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, I apologize. Ian McKellen's death is hands down. I'm sorry, that, I remember, I was, like, entranced by him as a kid. He was so scary, but, like, I, he wasn't, he didn't, like, he also seemed, like, fair. Like, he, there was something very, like, mesmerizing about him as a kid. That was, that, that, kind of, that was one where it's, like, I mean, I'm a fan of Seven Seal. Uh, I think it's a really cool movie, and, like, I can just tell McKellen, it's, like, he's probably a huge fan of that movie, too. And that's the one where it's, like, he's actually kind of paying respect to the movie there. I actually kind of appreciate it. Like, that's a legit, like, take on death he had. I saw that film later in college as well, actually, around the same time where I rewatched it. I agree, it was, I don't, it was cool, it was a cool performance. He gives death a gravitas that feels appropriate for the personification yes. of death, and um, yeah, he was my favorite. It was, there's so much fun things to the film like that, like it's just so, and it's so fun, like now we know him as Magneto, but like he wasn't Magneto back then. Like this is before after Pupil, he's just King Richard. And Kenneth Branagh's like it's really like a serious British actor. Yeah, to show up in a goofy movie like that, it's kind of strange for him. Yeah, I agree. I actually, now that we say that, does this is this like one of the first cracks in the ice to get the Shakespearean crowd, the, the Shakespearean royal company, to basically with talking about like uh, Judy Dench, uh, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart. Actually, as I say that, there were those guys who were already breaking through. Like Richard Harris was already making films. We already had a bunch of the Brits over here. But I love McKellen and Stewart, and I feel like they came on strong in the late 90s to early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's like a step from McKellen where it's like, I don't have new, you know, dramatic Shakespeare movies every, you know, it's like, I think he's trying to, he's, he's kind of starting to test the waters in terms of like other stuff that he can do. Oh, I like this film. I, this film to me is like definitely, it's, there's some nostalgia here, and some I don't even like. Not even for the film, just for the 90s. <laughs> like, some yeah. No, and that's what, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, like I said, I really enjoy the cameos. And like the, there's a version of this film that's a lot more fun and is winking at the audience a lot more. And for part of the movie, it is doing that. And then there's this part that they can't really figure out. And, like, it, like they just can't figure out the mechanism of going between worlds and how to handle that primary character of the kid. And so, and, and I mean, again, I mean, ultimately, I think the movie doesn't work the way it was so that's why I'm going to like deduct a good number of like points in my score. But at the same time, there is like a version of this movie that is really fun. It's just like a fun winking Hollywood type of movie with a lot of celebrities involved. And I enjoy that. You know, it's like I enjoy that aspect of the movie. It just doesn't get, they just don't, you know, it's like a long foul ball is what I would call it. It's like, oh, that would have been a home run if it was 20 yards to the right, you know. I, I like that. I think it's a great. I think that's a great analogy. Um, but there are two quick things. There's one, and I'll keep it super short. The thing I, I loved, it's really stuck with me. The villains. Charles Dance as Benedict and Tom Noonan as the Ripper. Like, I always thought Noonan as the Ripper was good, and he's scary. Like, I would see that. Show me the Ripper film. Um, he's really good. And he, he talk about, like, standing up. They're both, like, capable of holding their own against Arnold in his prime. But Charles Dance as Benedict want to touch on him for a minute. I love Charles Dance. He was great in The Golden Child. He's good in this, but he doesn't really get a real sleety role as a villain again until Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones, which you can make. And like, he, that was his iconic role. What the fuck, Hollywood? Why did it take you 
20 years to put this guy in the right role. Like, he is so good, but, like, I look at him, I wish Hollywood had, like, treated him like the star he was in the mid-80s. Like, he should he should be in 30 more, he should be in every Indiana Jones film. Like, I, I don't care. Like, he should be, I and I know he's not, he's a lot. I want him to be the next Christopher Lee or Ian McCallum. I want to see him in more things. I love him. I love what he brings to the table. He can do good. He can do bad. He can do both. I, I just love him. I agree a lot. A little bit of a waste of talent, but that, he, he really does, uh, in this movie especially, he jumps off the screen at you, uh, stands out a lot more than some of the other, you know, especially like that Italian mafia guy that's very, uh, very stereotypical, you know, their classical music show, very stereotypical character, but he, he brings something else uh, in terms of like an interesting villain, and so yeah, I like his performance a lot. Is there anything else you want to touch on, or should we do final scores? Like, there's at least, usually one in each scene. Like, there's at least, usually both. Yeah. 
and there's so many like and so like, even if you just look at it at that angle like try to find something new each scene and it's fun it's a fun film it's not perfect yeah i'm giving it a six five i agree yeah i think it's, it's a fun movie for moving people to watch if you're a little if you're like aware of all these like previous action movies and stuff i think if you were just watching it to watch it you might be like what the fuck is this <laughs> exactly yeah that's perfect that's exactly how i would discuss it Alright, there you go. Last action hero. 6-5 and 6-2, not too bad. Not too bad. Bye, my friend.